Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. In this episode, episode 183, I'll be chatting with my friend, Travis Tyler. He's also known as the artist Fizzle. Now, how did I get to know Fizzle? Well, he was part of that group I traveled with to Israel back in March, and it was during our trip I heard bits and pieces of his story. And afterward, I attended one of his concerts here in Dallas and heard a bit of his testimony. I knew I needed to share his redemption story with y'all. So I know for a fact people saw me years ago and felt like there was no hope for me, like that I would never be anything. And they definitely didn't think that I would be uh, a person that's speaking the way that I'm doing now and living the life that I'm living right now. Because at the end of the day, like, I, like even with my own children now, you teach them, like, show them the way and pray that the gospel breaks their heart, you know? Like, that's, that's all that we can do, but definitely have hope in knowing that if you are dealing with a child or a grandchild or somebody that feel like they're too far and there's no hope and there, there's nothing, like, don't, don't never think that. Like, yeah, keep believing to the very end that the gospel can pull men from the worst places in the world and continue to pull us. Neither Travis nor I chose what situations we were born into, but we were born four days apart in the same year. He grew up in the inner city of St. Louis to his single mom. I grew up in a suburban Indianapolis home with two parents, and our paths continued to look different from that point on. Until we met, and they crossed, right after we both turned 40, on an airplane headed to Israel. But in those 40 years before we met, those years that looked so very different, we were both born sinners. We were both in need of grace. We both also intersected with the gospel. Now, Travis's story is a bit more of a dramatic before and after than mine. But we both had pride that needed to be humble. We both were sinners, like I said, falling short. And we know that all sin leads to death. Choosing our way leads to destruction. Travis found himself in heartbreaking, horrible circumstances. And in this episode, he admits to how he took control at one point. He decided for himself to choose his way. And the more people that let him down, the stronger his vow became to look out for himself. Your consequences for choosing your own way, my consequences for choosing my own way, probably looked pretty different from Travis's. You may not have ended up in a group home at the age of 14 and in solitary confinement, or been wrongly accused of murder, or been a drug dealer. But none of us, and this is the message that Travis preaches, none of us are too far gone for God to redeem us. None of us have done too much for God to use us. In this episode, you're going to hear hope that if you have a loved one who's in trouble, don't give up. You're going to hear that the gospel always redeems. The good news is that wrong can be made right. And you're going to hear that God fights for you. You can drop your weapons of control. You can choose to surrender your way for God's way, whether it's your marriage, your family, your kids, whatever feels too far gone. Believe that God is for you and he's fighting for you. All right, let's get to my conversation with Travis. Here we go. Hey, Travis, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Hey, thank you for having me on. I mean, this this might be a first for me. This what? might be a first. First what? <laughs> a dad, uh, a rapper, 
Um, I don't think <laughs> I've had some dads on here. It's good. It's good. But I am just I'm giddy over here, excited to share you you with the gals that listen. Because I just have been so blessed by knowing you and getting to travel with you to Israel and uh, hear your story, get to go to one of your concerts with my boys and hear you preach. Um, So good. So good. So welcome to my place. And uh, it's safe and good here. And I just would love if you would kind of introduce us to you and a little of your story. Well, my... Name is Travis. That's what my mother named me. <laughs> my uh-huh. artist name is Thizzle. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I was born in um, Greenwood, Mississippi. I had a rough upbringing. I grew up in, in the city of St. Louis uh, in a single-parent home. And um, when I was a teenager, I was introduced to a lot of, well, before teenager, but when I was a teenager, I was I started indulging in a lot of the things that I was introduced to and it pretty much shaped my life, the way I thought about things, the way I dealt with people, um, all of that. And, uh, then in 1999, uh, I got into a a crazy situation. Um, and the Lord rocked me with the gospel and I've been pressing towards the mark ever since. Pressing towards the mark. I love that. Did you ever know your dad, your father? I remember seeing him when I was like five. Uh, he came to St. Louis. Then uh, I saw him when I was like eight. I went to live with uh, him and my grandmother, his mother, for the summer. But I I, I rarely saw him then because mm-hmm. he worked all night. And then I saw him again when I was 13. I went to live with him in Detroit for like a summer. When I was uh, in the eighth grade, I was expelled from like all St. Louis public schools. So I got it like the first week. <laughs> yeah. So what would cause that kind of expulsion? So, so when I was in early school, like uh, elementary, I was always a straight A student, mm-hmm. and. um I was a straight A student, so I was I was on a roll. Like they tried to put me up, like grades, everything. So by the time I got to sixth grade, that's when stuff got real bad. Like with my mom, um, my mom had a drug issue. So sixth grade stuff kind of started declining for me. I was getting in trouble, all kind of trouble. Like me and my cousins, and seventh grade, same thing, all kind of trouble. I'm pretty much like doing a lot of stuff that I want to do because nobody's really seeing to me for real. And uh, by the time I got to eighth grade, our principal was sick of me. And um, the first week of school, I got suspended for three days. I came back after the three. I got suspended for 10 days, like a couple days later. Then when I came back off of my 10 day, I got suspended the same day on my 10 day. And uh, and so I got, I got uh, expelled for 90 days then from that school. And um, my mom called the board of education and like pleaded my case and they let me go to a school in a different neighborhood. And so I went to that school and pretty much started getting in trouble doing the same stuff like I was doing. Um, and then one day I, I had a, 
I, I had a gun at school, so I was in the eighth grade. I was bad. <laughs> it's okay, Travis. Uh, all that. So, we all that's the gospel right there. Where there's not, yeah. <laughs> there were all. It's all in all of us. You just were in some tricky situations right there. That's hard. That's hard. And, and so I, I had a gun at school because I was in a totally different neighborhood, different gang, different people. Yeah. And uh, and I somebody told that I had the gun, mm. and so when the uh, the school did a locker search. They announced it over the speakers, like mm-hmm. we're about to search lockers. So I got the gun out of the school. But this girl that I was talking to, she had left a knife in my locker mm. like for a couple months. And I didn't even know it was in there. And so they found the knife in my locker. And when they found the knife, uh, they said it was mine. I, I didn't tell whose it was. And I was expelled again for 90 days. And so when I left that expulsion, uh, we had a meeting with the Board of Education and my mother, you know, she went and talked to the Board of Education. And when she got done talking to them, uh, they, they pretty much, they said, well, you're, we're going to expel you from all St. Louis public schools, like indefinitely. Wow. And so my mom was like, well, what is he going to do? They was like, well, he can go to alternative school. So they sent me to this alternative school that was pretty much like, like prison that you go to school mm. and you go home. Cause you like you learn more bad stuff. Cause everybody at yeah, the school is like doing there. the same yes, thing. Yes, yeah, yes. So you go to school and learn more bad stuff, and you go home mm. and then you learn more stuff. And and so mm. I went there for a couple months, and then my mom just saw that that wasn't working, and she was like, "I'm, I'm gonna send you to live with your father." And so mm. I had never lived with him before in my life. I was uh, like 14, you know, and when I went to live with him, you know, he he didn't know anything about me. Mm. So I was four, I was fourteen years old, but I was I was grown. Yeah. So I, I had done so much stuff and and had experienced so many different things. Like at this point, you know, you probably like, didn't trust him. You didn't know him. Yeah. You yeah, were. I didn't. I were, didn't know. But mm-hmm. but the thing about my relationship with my father is, it no matter what he did to me, like I loved him so hard. Mm. And so I, I, even though I was hurt by him my whole life for not being around, you know. One time when I was uh, in like fifth grade, when when stuff kind of started getting bad at first for my mom before it escalated, uh, we were staying a group of us in the house with my with my aunt. Like at one point, there was the seven people with my aunt, her yeah. her five kids, her her boyfriend, me, my brother, my mom. That's ten, and then my aunt friend had four kids, and and her. So it was fifteen people. We all lived in a two bedroom apartment. Oh, and so, so I called uh, my my father at that point, and I was like, "Man, I'm we're, we're hungry. We don't got no food. We don't got this. Like, mm-hmm. can you send me money?" Mm-hmm. And, and he pretty much was like, "No, you know." Mm-hmm. He's like, I, "Like your mom gets child support," which my mom was only getting like fifty dollars a month from him. Oh, but they were, I, I think they were taking other money, but because she was on welfare or whatever. We were getting like $50 a month from him. So that wasn't enough to do anything for me. And so, you know, uh, when I went to stay with him, even though I had never been around him, I loved him. I, like, I, I loved him hard. Like, all that's all I ever wanted from him. Mm. Like, I didn't really care about none of the other stuff. And so when I went to live with him, it, he he was trying to, he thought I was a normal 14-year-old. But by this point, like, I, I had been... In like shootouts, I had seen people I love get killed. Like mm-hmm. I had been around, you know, people that were, you know, I had been around drug dealing, like all kind of crazy stuff. Like 
I was I was sexually active, like everything, you mm-hmm. know. So he he kind of thought I was like a normal fourteen year old kid, and so he tried to govern me that way, but I wasn't. And so it wasn't long before I was up there with him. I was in the street, like doing the same things in Detroit that I was doing in St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, as a result of that, you know, it was it was strenuous for him, uh, for my my stepmom, because like she didn't know how to deal with me. And it's like, man, like get your son under control, which she loved me. You know, she still loves me. Like we have a great relationship, but it was like, you got to control your child. Mm. And by her not being my mother, it made it, you know, hard Mm. for her. And so it put so much strain on it. Uh, The last, I was getting suspended from school up there, skipping school, staying out, you know, late coming in like one, two o'clock in the morning, like all these different things. And, and then my, my dad had a gun. And so one day I was out with these dudes and I, I took my daddy gun. So I was taking it every night that I would go out mm-hmm. and sneak it and putting it back up the next mm-hmm. day while they were at work. And one night I took it out and I let this dude see it and, and let him go somewhere with it. And he lost it. And so when he lost the gun, I'm like, I can't go back home. And so I, I was staying with this dude uh, out selling drugs with him and coming back home. And, but I, w- I, I would stay. I wasn't going back to my daddy's house. And so I was sneaking during the daytime and get clothes and, and all of this. And I did that for like a week or so. One day I came in to get clothes and, 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 and I could hear somebody on the other side of the door. And I'm like, man, somebody in here. And I just I, I just took off running down the steps. Mm. And I look back, and you know, I'm in the street, and I look back, I'm running, and my dad running behind me. He got a belt, you know. I'm like, man, I'm not about to get no whooping, so I, I run. <laughs> As a 14-year-old man. <laughs> As a 14-year-old, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, so I, full I, man I get, at that point, yeah. Right. So I get away from him, and uh, and, and so I call, I go, and I call my grandmother. You know, my grandmother was always my, my angel mm. person. Mm. And so I go call my grandmother, and uh. And I'm like, man, y'all might as well let me come back home. Like, I'm getting in trouble up here and doing stuff here. And so my, my grandma, she's, she calls her brother. And her brother, like, uh, lived in Detroit. And she like, go get my grandson, put him on the Greyhound. And I go back to my dad's house to get my stuff. And when I go back, my, my dad is just like, you know, he like, where my gun at? Mm. And I was like, I don't, I don't got it. I lost it, you know. And so he looked me in my eyes and he was like, Get your stuff, get out of my house, and don't never come back here again. You are no longer welcome here. Oh wow! And so, like you know, I like I, I was at that point like you had a the like man complex, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So my 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 pride, everything was like I don't need him. You know, I'm I'm looking like whatever. You know, yeah, you're 14. You think you know and, uh, everything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like whatever. I don't, I don't need him. Like. I never needed him, blah, blah. And so I'm riding on the bus and uh, like, it's just dark. I'm bent over in the seat and I'm just crying, mm. like bawling, crying. Like I'm, I'm crushed. Mm. Cause I'm like, man, all the times that I've needed you and I've, I've, I've reached out to you and, and, and everything. Like you finally got me here. And the thing you could think to do is send me away and tell me to never come back. Mm. And so, uh, I went back to St. Louis and, and that kind of just made me worse. Mm. 
because I was like, yo, I got to be grown for myself. Like, I don't got no daddy. Like, I, like my mom doing, you know, whatever she doing. And so when I went back home, I was I was a hundred times worse. Like every everything, like everything was worse. Like I, I started selling drugs, like for real. And then um, right after that, the state came because now we had moved to a different house. Me and my mom and my aunt. And again, like now my aunt has like six kids and and it's her and her boyfriend and my brother and my mom and, and whoever else spends the night and whatever people coming in and out. And, and we just like the situation was just bad. And so someone called the state on my on my mom and my aunt. We ain't had no food at the house and all of that stuff. And the state came and they they took us. They took every kid in the mm-hmm. house. But when but when they came, I was across the street. So I was across the street and saw it happen. Wow. So I saw the police cars pull up and all the different people, you know. And um they they went in, took all the kids out. I could hear the kids yelling, my auntie crying, mm. like soon as the people pull off, I go across the street. And uh my aunt is just hysterical, her boyfriend and my mom is crying, and I'm like, Where my little brother mm. at? You know, my little brother was, you know, five years younger than me. So he's like nine years old. And, and my mama, like, he, he ran to your granny house. So when they came in the front door, my mom took him and sent him out the back door and told him to run to my granny house and don't stop till he get mm. there. But because of the situation, you know, my granny, my granny had to uh, take him and give him to the people uh, uh, like the next day. And so her. I was. I mean, that's got to be tough. Yeah. And so I was underage. I had to turn myself in, too. So the people took me, you know, and my brother, you know, to a group home. We went to separate group homes. Mm. So my mom went to rehab. She was in and out of rehab in like eight months. You know, she went to rehab. She did what they told her she had to do. She, you know, she went and got a job, you know, every whatever she had to Mm. do. Like she went and did it. The people let me and my brother go back home. And so when I go home, my mom, my mom's been in rehab. She's not getting high. She's not doing nothing. And, and we moved to a different school district so I could go back to school and all of that. But I was still myself. Right. And so after, uh, you know, a month or, or whatever to I'm I'm leaving home and not coming in and I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm back selling drugs and, and all of this stuff. So I, I'm not going to school and. And I, I literally moved in, like, with my girlfriend and her mother. And so I was 14 years old. Like, I lived with a girl, like, every day at her house. Mm-hmm. One day I was laying in there, and it's early in the morning, and, and somebody come knock on the door. And I go to the door, and I'm like, who is it? And they like, police. Oh, my goodness. And so I'm like, I'm like, oh, man. So I got all kind of stuff in this house. And, who you looking for? What you want? And they were like, we're looking for Travis Tyler. And I'm like, oh, man. And so I was doing all kind of crazy stuff. So I, I didn't know what these police were looking for me for. So we just, I just hid everything I could hide. I'm like, we got to open the door. And so I go and uh, open the door. My girlfriend, her mom, and my friend was there with me. And so we open the door up and let them in. I'm waiting on them to come in and just be like, all right, turn around. You're under arrest or whatever, you know. And, and the police officer walk in. And all of us are standing there, and he looks at me and says, "It's Travis Tyler here." And I was like, "Oh snap! They don't even know who I am." So I was like, 
soon as I'm about to lie and open That's my it. mouth and say, no, he's guy. not here. I don't know the guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Travis who? Like, soon as I'm about to say that. Right. I heard this lady's voice say, that's him right mm. there. That's Travis. And I look up and it's my mm. mom. And so I'm like, I'm like, really, ma? You know, like, so I don't know what's going on at this point, but I see my mom and then this caseworker walks in. And the caseworker's like, that's him. Handcuff him. Bring him with us. And uh, the police car drives me to my house. And so I'm like, what's happening? Y'all came to get me with the police to take me home? And uh, the caseworker was like, no. She was like, you're about to go uh, to a group home. And I was like, what? And they're like, you're about to go to a group home. And so I'm mad at my mom now because I'm like, mom, you straight did this? And she like, you know, she tears in her eyes. She like, I went and got some help. Mm. I'm going to try to help you get some mm. too, you know. Mm. That is going to be so hard for her. Yeah. And so I was like, I was like, this is not going to help me. Mm. I was like, this this not, this not going to make me mad. This is not going to help me. And they drove me up to this uh, place in the woods, like so far away from home, and take me to this group home and drop me off. Like sign me up. Did it work? Drop me Did off. Did it work? No. They leave me with a group of people I don't know yeah. at all. And so I got there. I was mad. Then right when I go, um, one of my friends like that I looked up to, one of my heroes, he gets killed from my neighborhood. Uh, holidays came. Nobody called me. Nobody came to see me. Mm-hmm. Like all of the kids in the group home, like when Christmas came, like everybody's getting like these gifts from their parents mm-hmm. and family members and people coming to visit them and taking them out and and I'm sitting there by myself Uh, like a lot of the kids got to go home for Christmas so I'm left at the group home me and like four people Mm -hmm. and like nobody comes to see me nobody calls me only Christmas gift I got was from the group home like a hundred dollar gift card from Walmart that the state gave us and so it, it just it just made me angry like it made me mad it hurt it's kind of like a a sad mad like a yeah. yeah, I mean the state. The state gives you a present, but the people that you care most about have feels like they've forgotten you. Don't even. Yeah, yeah it's like they don't even yeah. call me. You yeah. know, and so uh, like right after Christmas, I was just I was just so angry, and this dude, uh, it was a young white dude. Like it was crazy because when I first came there, he was from somewhere out in the country, and when I first came there. He walked up to me the first day that I made it, and he was like, what's up, man? What's your name? I was like, Travis. And he was like, I just wanted to introduce myself, but I probably I probably shouldn't even be talking to you. And I'm like, why? And he was like, because I was raised not to like black people. And he was like, my wow. granddaddy don't like black people. Wow. And I never I never talked to black people, right? So this was our first interaction. Oh, my sorry. And I'm looking, at, I'm looking at him like, why are you even telling me this? Like, you know, like stupid look on my face as time went on me and him never really had a relationship but we would randomly say different stuff to each other here and there and so this particular day i guess he was mad and i was mad and he came in the living room in our group home and he was like i can't stand you boy and i was like what do you mean and he was like you a boy and i was like are you saying this in a way like Like, racist 
Or, yeah. you know, and he was like, yeah, you a boy. Oh, no. And so I was like, don't call me that again. And he was like, what you going to do, boy? And he just kept saying it. And, and then I, like, just jumped up, grabbed him, like, threw him on the floor, like, choking him out type thing. And so the staff came. And, of course, I looked like the aggressor. Right. And uh, they they took me, put me in an isolation room. Mm. You go, it's this little bitty room. And so all the walls are metal, this thick wood door, and the floor is just a thin layer of carpet. And so, like, I got in there. And my brain just was like, I got to get out of here. Like, yeah. so, so I'm like, I'm wild and I'm kicking the door like, man, let me out of here. And so that made it worse. They're like, you can't come out. We're not letting you out. And so I just literally laid down, like, on the floor, like, looking under the crack, like, just trying to, like, breathe. And and I just lay there, like, all night. They left me in there all night. And I just, I'll go to sleep. I'll wake back up. I'll, I'll go to sleep. And the next morning, they let me come out to use the bathroom while everybody was at school. And the uh, staff that came in the afternoon he was like, I'm going to let you, because me and him was real cool. And he was like, I'm going to let you out. And uh, he was like, but if you start tripping, <laughs> he was like, uh, we're going to have to put you back in. So I was like, man, I don't want to go back in there. I'm, 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 I'm done. So they let me out. I went to my room. They took all my stuff out of my room. I had radios, papers. I had just started writing raps in there. Wow. One of my staff workers actually asked me one day I was rapping some music. It was somebody else's song. And they asked me, like, whose song is that you rapping yours? I was like, no. Nah. I was like, it's somebody else's song. And I was like, uh, I don't write songs. And the staff worker was like, you should probably consider writing your own song. Mm. And I was like, I ain't never think about that. And so I wrote my first raps, you know, uh, in the group home. So I had papers in there that I had wrote raps on. They took all of them. They took my weights. They took my mm. radio. And I like later on that night, I was in my room sleeping. They came and woke me up in the middle of the night and they woke me up and took me into this room with these two men. One was a Native American and the other one was a white guy. And I'm like, what's going on? It's like one o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, what's going on? And they were like, these two men came to talk to you. And I'm like, about what? At one in the morning, you know? And so one of the guys started talking and he was like, we, we got sent here by your caseworker. We came to talk to you. Um, the dude was like, are you, are you suicidal? What? And I was like, <laughs> no. And he was like, well, what is this that you wrote? You know, one of my songs I had wrote. Oh. I, in the song I had wrote like some about, I don't care if I live or die, you know, I want to go be with Johnny. That's my friend that just had got killed. Mm. And so they were like, well, what are you, what is this? And I said, and I, I explained it to him. I said, man, where we live at, those are your only options. I was like, I don't care if I live or die. I said, because it's probably going to happen to me anyway. Mm-hmm. I said, so why should I care about it and stress myself out about it? But instead, I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to do what I want to do, you know? And so they were like, okay. And they were like, so you don't want to kill yourself? I was like, no. And so they like, well, what about this? They started asking me a bunch of questions. And the dude asked me, how, how are you? Are you okay? And nobody hadn't asked me that the whole time I had been there. Wow. And I just I just broke down. I broke down crying. And I was just like, man, I just want to go home. Like, I want to go home. I want to be with my mama. I want to be with my little brother, my family, my cousins. 
I was like, I want to go home. And so they were the first person that got a glimpse of the kid side of me. Cause by that point I was so hard. Yeah. And I was always big. Like when I was 14, I was six feet tall, like wow. 200 pounds, like 180 pounds. So mm-hmm. I was always big. I was all I, like, I was always tough. So people never saw the kid side of me cause it wasn't, beneficial in my environment yeah it didn't work for you i mean my heart just breaks because i see you were this you know like you said straight eights little kid and it just started down this downhill sixth grade and yes you had to make some of those choices but at the same time in the environment you were in with the you know you said like your mom choosing her own drugs at the time and you know she got she she went to rehab herself later, but at the time you just can see I have a sixth grader right now. You know, I think yeah. he's trying to figure out who he is. And when you don't have yeah. any stable ground to stand on and then you have all these other choices and all the people around you are making a different choice, that's tough. Yeah. And then you just kept it just kept going and growing worse and worse. And the harder you are on the outside, you know, to people, there's no one can get in to say choose a different way like you had to decide to choose a different way and um and faith was it anywhere in any part of your life to this point like had you intersected my my grandma my grandmother was always a christian but it was all it always looked like to me christianity was for older people you know right and so i didn't even understand that i always believed god was real i always felt like you know that there was a God, but I didn't even understand what that meant. Mm-hmm. And so these things kept pushing me to that point. So when I left from that group home, long story short, I left from there, I went to a, a, a hospital uh, in Lake St. Louis called CPC. And the guys, they promised me, they said, if you go and do right in our program, we'll we'll see about you going home. So I'm like, I don't got nothing to lose. Right. I went with them. I went with them and it made me worse, though. And no. not in a negative way, but it, it made me more... It made me more cunning because I'm riding with two men I don't know in the middle of the night and I'm in the back seat of a van. I don't know where they're going to take me. They could kill me. I don't know. And I sat there and I said, if this is going to be my life from now on, I'm going to be in control. Mm-hmm. And so I went with them. I played the game at their program and I was out of there in like 40 days. It took people like 90 days to get out of there or never get out. And so they sent me home. And when I went home, the crazy thing is, is when I went home, they sent me home. Uh, When I left there, a part of me was like, okay, I got to go home and do right. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to go back to no group homes. And I don't want to blah, blah, blah. And so my mom had told him I could come home. And she was out of the system. The case where our case was over. and So now it was up to her. My mom like, yeah, send him home. So I'm like, all right, I got to go home and do right. Because when I left, my mom was working. She wasn't doing drugs, none of that. But when I made it back home, my mom was back on drugs and everything, everything was like it was when everything first went bad. And so I came right back home and I I started back selling drugs Mm. and I started back, you know, from that point on, I've been taking care of myself since then. I was 15 when I I made it home the day before my 15th birthday. And I've been taking care of myself since I was 15. I made it home in six months. I bought a car. I was 15 and a half. I didn't even have driver's license. I bought a car. I started doing all kind of crazy stuff. And then my, as soon as I made it home, like six months later, one of my best friends got killed in front of me. Mm. Like 
I stood there and watched him die. He was 13 years old. And so when that happened, it just it just turned me into a monster because I did, I was like, I'm not about to get killed. Nobody's going to kill me and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep from getting killed. And You're that like was my life. constant fight or flight, constant defense yeah. mode. Yeah. Constantly and fighting for my life, defending myself. And- Tell us when it turned around because this, I mean... My heart is yeah, like ripped open, Travis, and bleed. I'm yeah. so sad. This is, makes me so sad. That, that's for what you. I should have said. My, you know, my the turning point. That was the gist of my life until I was 18, mm. 18, 19 years old. Like that was my life. Like over and over, getting locked up for dumb stuff. People, I, my friends started dying like three per year when I was fifteen. When I was nineteen, my best friend in the world, his name was Tank, my cousin which is, is ironically crazy telling this story right now. Today would have been Tank's birthday. Oh, I'm like, sorry. Like, literally. Yeah. I'm sorry. And so, yeah, my, 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 best, my best friend in the world. Like, this was, we had been together through everything. And one of my other friends from my neighborhood killed him. Mm. And so, when that happened, it just, it, it tore me apart. Like it sent me on a spiral that I, I had never been in. Like I hated everybody. I hated everything. And it just, it just drugged me to rock bottom. And then, uh, in the midst of that, a church came to my neighborhood and, uh, shared the gospel. They came to my neighborhood and shared the gospel and they invited me back to church. And I went back to church with them. And then I met some people from the church that started doing life with me, but it wasn't over. My life <laughs> went way further out of spiral. Then a week after the church people, you know, of I, course. I, I met with them. Of I met course. with them and went to church a week after that. I was arrested and falsely accused of a murder. Mm. And, uh, I was thrown in jail, no bond, four felonies, first degree murder, first degree armed criminal action, first degree unlawful use of a weapon, and first degree breaking and entering. And uh, I didn't have no bond. And that, that's when God started to to deal with it. Because before, like, so I met the church people. I went to the church. And um, I, I went and talked to this pastor. And I'm telling them, like, the police looking for me. And they they I'm on the news. And I'm everywhere. They've been at my grandmother's house and all of this. And I go talk to the pastor. And he was like, well, let me call and see if they're looking for you. I'm like, I know they're looking for me. Like, I know this. You know? And so he called around anyway, and the, the the detective that was looking for me, he used to be the partner of the pastor. The pastor used to be a homicide detective. Oh, my so they were like good friends. And so he tell them like, man, I talked to this kid. I think he's innocent. I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to get him to turn himself in, all of that. So the pastor take me, you know, he going to take me to turn myself in. So I tell him, I'm like, man, before I go, let me go get a lawyer. I know how this stuff works. I go to this lawyer office. I'm looking for a lawyer and, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm go to, I went to this dude. They get everybody out of trouble. They do stuff. <laughs> he's the guy. So I, Better call so Saul. I'm like, like I, Saul. He's, so he's Saul. Right. Yeah, so I'm yeah. like, I know if he's getting people out of trouble that do stuff, yeah. he could get me out of trouble and I haven't done that. Yeah, that's right. So I, I, I go in looking for this guy, his office moved and I see a, a, the list of names and I see this name where it says Travis. So I'm like, man, I'm going to go holler at him just cause his name Travis, right? <laughs> Uh, nothing more and I walk into this office and I, I see the receptionist and I say uh, we're looking for Travis Noble can you show me where he is and uh, 
she's like, he's in his office right there. So she literally, I've never seen this happen in my life. She points us straight back to his office. It is no sit down, wait, I'll call him out. She don't even know us. So I walk straight back to this dude's office and walk to the door, knock on his door. He's sitting at a desk, uh, white guy, 30 something. And so I, I say, hey, man, uh, I came looking for a lawyer. And before I could get anything else out, he said, I don't know who you are. He said, I don't know what your case is. I don't know what you've done. He said, I don't know if you have money. He said, I don't know any of that. He said, I don't care either. He said, when you walked in her, something just told me not to let you walk out of her without me helping you. Wow. And me and my friend looked at each other like blown away because now I'm starting to see these things happen that I know is God. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, God, I've been to I've been to this church. I've talked to these people. I've heard the gospel. I'm, I, I I pray like God, give me a better way to live life. You know, I, I go through all I'm, I'm I'm going through all these emotions and I constantly see God popping up. So I go with the pastor, turn myself in. And like he said, they they lock me up. They interrogate me for like 20 hours. Come back in. They say, if you don't if we don't issue one in the next four, we got to let you go. They come back an hour later, issue a warrant, read me my rights, take me to jail. I go to jail and I'm walking down to, you know, my room, back to my my jail cell. And and something happened. Like I'm walking and I literally say to myself, now, mind you, I I didn't grow up in church. My granny was a Christian. I never looked that far into it. I just heard the gospel a week or some before this. Uh, Had been to church one time on a Friday night since that nothing major in my life that pointed to this. Right. So I'm walking down the hall and all of a sudden I say to myself, I said, well, God, you got me. I said, I guess I'm going to be in jail preaching the gospel. Wow. And I literally said, what is wrong with me? I'm going crazy. (laughs) This is what I say to myself. I say, I'm losing my mind. Yeah, You're taking on a prison ministry. You're like, (laughs) you're all, and I, I'm right. And I've been to church one time, like in two weeks. And so I go in my cell, man, and I sit down and and I, I'm on the bed on my bunk and I just feel God speak to me. Like, and, and it might as well be audible because it was so real for me. Like I knew it was God. And, and, and I just felt the Lord speak to me and say, pray and I'm gonna come get you out. Hmm. And I was like, <sighs> Like, literally, I'm like, I'm not about to pray. Like, I'm verbally talking. I feel God say, pray, and I'm going to come get you out. And I'm like, man, I'm verbal. I'm like, man, I ain't, I, I been, I ain't praying. Pray, I'm going to come get you out. I'm like, man, God, I've been praying my whole ver- I'm verbally talking. God, I've been praying my whole life. Like, my daddy gone, my cousin dead. Uh, I'm, I'm spewing out my heart, like, all stuff that's wrong. And I'm like, I've been praying, you know. And I feel the Lord say, pray, and I'm going to get you out right now. Mm. And I literally, like my grandma used to always tell me, man, talk to God how you talk, to, how you talk until God gets you cleaned up. You talk how you how you talk. God understands. Yes. And so I, I literally, I just, I was just raw and prayed. I'm like, God, you know, I didn't do this. The gist of it was, God, you know, I didn't do this. You know, everything I've done. And I'm like, I ain't saying what I'm going to do when I get out of here. Because I knew I was messed up. I said, but from now on, when I hear you talking to me, I'm going to listen. And I, I got up. 
and I laid down and went to sleep easy as I had the whole time. And I, I was sitting there and I'm like, man, I'm afraid fading in and out. And the secure CO security guard knocked on my door and he, he knocks on the door and I get my stuff. Cause now I've been to court. I know I've been in a holding cell. I'm about to go to a dorm. I go, I grab my stuff. I walk to the door and I ask him, I say, man, what dorm am I going to? He was like, you're not going to no dorm. I said, well, where I'm going? He said, you're going home. Wow. I was like, what you mean? I'm, I was like, what you mean I'm going home? He like, you're going home. I'm like, man, please don't play with me like that. You know what I'm in here for. Like, mm. I'm like, why are you playing? He like, no, you're going home. Look. And he showed me my paper and he said, you free to go. I said, stop playing. He moved to the side and put his hand like, you can leave. Man, I asked everybody walking down that hallway, can I leave? They like, yes. Can I leave? Yes. So they told my mom, like, wait, he's on his way down. Like, he's coming downstairs. Wait a minute. And so I I, I, I get downstairs. Like, my mom, like, how did you get out? I'm like, mom, I prayed and God got me out. She called the lawyer. When they told her I was on my way out, she called the lawyer like, did you get him out? The lawyer like, no, he he's being held till his court date. He has no bond. So she like, no, he on his way downstairs. <laughs> no one believes I made you. It. You don't believe him. It's like, I don't believe it. I made it downstairs. The, 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 the lawyer was running across the street from his car when I was coming out the door. Mm. He was like, how did, how did you get out of here? I said my exact words to him. I prayed and God got me out. Mm. I said, that's all I, that's all I got. Like I, ain't, that's all I've had since that day. I've never been back for that. They, it's never been an issue no more. And I, I prayed, and God got me out. And that was the beginning of my, my walk, uh, my redemption journey. Yeah, my walk of sanctification. I left there that day. My my other cousin got killed right after that. But everything that I that happened to me from that point, it made me run to God as a source of peace and refuge. Versus trying to run and gun and deal with it on my own. I started reading the scriptures. I started going to church. And God just started changing me. Mm. And, and and here I am today. I wrote the book, right? Of course. I got a book that I wrote. Called yeah, Against tell me. All I'll, put it, I'll put it in the show notes. What's the name yeah. of it? Against All Odds? It's called Against All Odds. And they could order it off of Amazon. Okay, I'll put the link. But I, I, wrote, the, I wrote the book. And... Um, when people started reading it, like people that knew me personally that had never heard the full, you know, details, because the book goes into way more details. It's 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 ra- it's PG, of course, but it goes into way more detail. <laughs> and uh, um, I like people come to me and be like, my friend's a pastor from Seattle. His name Wayne Taylor. He called me and he was like, "Dizzle, man, my heart is just broke." Mm-hmm. He was like reading this book. He was like, I couldn't wait to get to the end. Hey, <laughs> right, that's like me. I'm like, come to on. See the redemptive. Yeah, he was like, because I can't believe one person went through all of that and so young. And so one of the things that um I'm working on now is I'm working on doing a documentary that is gonna highlight the effects of PTSD in inner city. African-American community because when I talk through like me sitting here right now, talking through this with you once again, reminded me like, Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Like 
you know, like one person go through all of this stuff and, and it's not properly dealt with. Right. You know, growing up our whole life is like, don't cry. You, you're a boy. It's not to say boys don't cry, but it's because they were trying to teach us like you're going to be hurt a lot of more days. Hmm. So you need to learn how to deal with this. So it's like, don't right. cry. But that's not the right way to respond. Right. Like and so w- when my cousin died, like my tears broke like a levee. <laughs> I hadn't cried my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like when my cousin got murdered, I cried for a year straight. Mm. every time I thought about it, you know, I just bawled mm. because all of the hurt, all of the pain I've been holding in forever. And, and that's why right now, like that, that, that's the reason I make music the way I do. That's the reason that I approach life the way I do, you know, because there are a group of people that, and, and sometimes people think we make excuses, but when you look at, look at the chronic, look, look at how the, the way my life was chronicled. Right. Like when you have, I tell people this all the time. You take a kid right now, you drop him off in the jungle and you come back. He's going to be Tarzan or he's going to be dead. It's going to be one or the other. He's going to die or he's going to be Tarzan. And it's the same thing with taking kids, putting them in any environment. Mm -hmm. Like you take a kid that's eight years old on the payphone, calling his father to say, send me some food. And he say, no. Right. You know, you, you, you look at that and then you look at, you know, uh, I got to go back home and my mom has a drug issue and there's no food and I'm eight. Right. It's like, what am I going to do? Mm. I can't go get a job. I can't go work. So if nobody intervenes, I'm going to resort to stealing. I'm going to resort to selling drugs because that's the only thing and only way out I see in my proximity. How much time, how much time do you spend doing things for your community now that you you know have this platform and have this you know you're an artist do you I know you've done some things for St. Louis after all that went down a few years ago um what how much of your time do you spend investing back because I'm sure your heart breaks for every every year at the end of the year yeah every year at the end of the year in December uh I always I'm usually at home on break so what I'll do in December is I'll go to juvenile centers. I'll go to every juvenile center in St. Louis and talk to kids. I do this um, annual back-to-school block party in my neighborhood where I we give out school supplies, book bags, um, all of that kind of stuff, you know, like uh, to people in the inner city. Well, in my neighborhood that I grew up in. So we'll give our book bags, school supplies, all that. Because I remember school starting, you know, or school starting in the middle of the month. We couldn't go to the school until the beginning of the month. Until you Because that's when, that's when welfare came. Mm-hmm. Like, the checks mm-hmm. came. Mm-hmm. So we would have to wait till the beginning of the school year to go to school because we didn't have stuff. Mm-hmm. So I do the back to school thing for those kids and those parents. You know, we, we like... Every year we try to do it better. So next year we're going to do haircuts, all kind of stuff, health screening. But just on a regular, I, I work with a program in St. Louis, uh, two different programs that I, I work with voluntarily. One is called Slate and one is called Mission St. Louis. And so both of them, Mission St. Louis has a mentoring program for, for men that come home from jail or coming out the streets or just trying to get their life together to help them get jobs and and do mentoring and slate is a 
all around job placement group that work with today. people of any. You had that. Yeah, today. Workforce Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, that's good. And so, yeah, so I work with both of those on on a regular basis, and then just in my regular life, like I still go back to pour into my cousins and my family, and you know, people from my neighborhood to just try to be an example and a light to them that man, life is different. You can do something else. So that's that's why I dedicate my life to that. You know, that's the way I make I, I make music the way I make music. Yeah. A lot of times in in the Christian community, like my music is hard. <laughs> like my music is hard, and and you know, honestly, in the in the Christian community, you have to make music a certain way to be quote unquote monetarily successful well, or to be played. I was thinking, like, do you ever get played on a Christian radio played. station? Because no, no, I was thinking of all these no. guys I met on the Israel trip. And of course, for King and Country is because they fit the mold. But what about yeah. y'all? Y'all yeah. don't have a place, do you? Nah, they don't. There, there's no, there's no platform. There's no place for people like me. So where do you, where yeah. do you fit? I mean, do you have to create the place? Like, is there anybody in the yeah. industry that'll create a new radio station? Or now that we have XM Radio, is there like a? That's the okay. future. So there, there would definitely be people that do that. But for me, it's like at this point now. Like it, I'm, I'm actually. It's funny because I'm at a point now where I like I can't make music to appease the Christian crowd and say the stuff that the people need to hear. He didn't make you to do that. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so like, like that's yeah. the point I'm at right now. I'm just like, yo, I'm gonna make music that I feel that's honest, that's that's attempting to reach people where they are, and and trust God to do what He's gonna do with it. You know, so that's that's the whole reason I do the stuff I do. So. Uh, and yeah. God has been faithful be, to that. So, yeah, yeah, you got to be a bridge. I mean, you got to meet people like thinking of yourself when you were a 14, 15 year old guy, you wouldn't have picked up the Christian music radio station, you know? Yeah, never would that have. That wouldn't have caught never. your heart. Never. No. And I know there's more to your story, too. Wasn't it you were rapping? Was it Flame that came in your neighborhood? Who Flame, came in your yeah. neighborhood? Flame, was, yeah. Flame was one of the people that came out with the church. Yeah, Flame's Amazing. still like one of my best friends right now. Yeah, Flame was one of the people that came out with the church and, and you know, uh, shared the gospel with me. Not only that, he walked alongside me, you know. Mentored you. The, yeah, yeah, through all of the stuff that I was going through. He he walked alongside me. And it was crazy because when I met him, you know, his family and a lot of different other people tried to get him not, well, not his family family, but some people tried to get him to not, you know, be around me. We were at the mm. store one day together and uh and and his cousin saw him with me and pulled him to the side when I walked off and was like, "Bruh, do you know who that do you know who that dude is that you with? Do you know the type of stuff that dude do? Like you mm. you need to be careful like hanging around him." But Flame, he he knew it was a god thing. He 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 said the first time he saw me in the hood that God spoke to him and said, you and this dude are going to be doing ministry together. Wow. And he, and he wrote it out with me and, and, and here we are today, you know, doing ministry. I love together. that. I love that. Well, well, uh, fizzle. Wait, first tell everyone what fizzle stands for. <laughs> so it was an acronym for this house. I shall live. It was a script. Uh, I got it from scripture in the Bible. It was, it was a comforting thing for me when I first came out the street. Uh, like it means I, this house I shall live, like our body being a temple of the Holy Spirit. That was like God. Like when I started reading the scriptures, I started seeing over and over and over, like God is with you, God got you, like it's cool, you know. And so that's where it came from. From that, 
But yeah, mm-hmm. that's where it came it's from. Like, but, it's like God-centered, like you're living in God, kind of like God-centered mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're like so the same. I, <laughs> I, I definitely yeah. want to encourage people, you know, before um, we get off, you know, like for the mothers or, you know, uh, grandmothers or fathers that, that have kids that that it look like there is no hope, I right. guarantee you, I know verbally, I've had people say, I thought you had been dead. Like, I like mm. I thought you were dead. I haven't saw you in so long. Like, So I know for a fact people saw me years ago and felt like there was no hope for me, like that I would never be anything. And they definitely didn't think that I would be uh, a person that's speaking the way that I'm doing now and living the life that I'm living right now. Be- because at the end of the day, I, like even with my own children now, you teach them, like show them the way and pray that the gospel breaks their heart. You know, right. like that's that's all that we could do. But definitely have hope in knowing that if you are dealing with a child or a grandchild or somebody to feel like they're too far and there's no hope and there, there's nothing like don't don't never think that. Like keep Not believing. until the, Yeah. Keep believing to the very end that the gospel can pull men from the worst places in the world and continue to pull us, you know, like continue to pull us and continue to shape us. So definitely be encouraged in that. And, and if you guys like listening, I always tell people like, I I love for anybody to get my book and read it or get my music and listen to it. But if you have a person that's in jail or a person that's on the path, like get the book, read it and give it to them. Like yeah. send it to somebody in jail, like give it to some uh, students at your school, like like take it and use it as a tool to point people to, you know, that that the the right direction and, and that ultimate right direction being in Christ. Like I, I go through the whole book and tell this testimony and the last chapters of the book, I highlight three things that really, really, you know, that that we lack when we live those type of lives. One identity. Like, what are we created for? And have I have I made so many mistakes that God wants nothing to do with me? And so I, I break those three things down at the end from a biblical, scriptural point of view. And uh, and want to encourage people that read it like you're not too far gone. God created you for a purpose and God created you in his image. That's good right there. Didn't I tell y'all? Preacher. The best <laughs> preaching I have heard in my entire life, and I was born just straight into the church, was at the event we went to with you and your friends. I mean, oh, amen. the hog mog, oh my stars. All I mean, yes, seven. Yes. I love seven. He, I love seven. No, he literally is so anointed. It's yes. unbelievable. But you know and what's so see crazy? Him. If you saw him in an alley, you would run yes. the other way. Yeah, you I was just going to say, you know what's so crazy? <laughs> if people <laughs> saw Seven, they would not want to deal with him at all. No. Mm-mm. He's tough. He looks tough. You look You look like my, like a baby. <laughs> right, right. And, but the crazy thing is, the same. he has the same problem that I have. Yeah. Like the church, they just won't. No. They don't know how to embrace it. And I, I would go to his church. Look. I would go to his yeah. church every single week and be like so pumped up. I, I mean, yeah. 
Not just yeah, for my no. own. I would be so pumped up to go and tell the good news, which is what we're yeah. supposed to be doing in church, right? Pumping each other up to go tell the good news. So thank you, Fizzle. I know I told you 30 minutes. So what? It's cool. It's cool. It's, it's cool. That's about the same. Oh, but thanks for coming on. I am so grateful for you. I'll link everything you shared in the show notes for people. And y'all check out Thizzle. He even did a song with Ellie Holcomb, who's been on the show. Y'all can check that out. I'll put a link to Tears. Good stuff. Good collaboration all around. Okay. Thanks, Thizzle. Thank you. Adios. All right. God bless. Well, I know this episode is a little unconventional compared to some of the other episodes on parenting or all that sort of thing. But truly... The heart of your parenting, the best method you can use is to recognize and get on the same side of your kids to see that they're not being bad and different from you to get back at you. They're being bad and and difficult because that's how they were born to be. And you need to love them and pray for them and trust that God will wreck them with the gospel, that he cares most about them that he is for them more than you can ever even imagine being for them, that they are never too far gone, that we should never parent in fear. I'm preaching to myself, (laughs) preaching to myself, parent in fear that they may become a drug addict, that they may become a drug dealer, that even in the places that we fear the most and the, the kind of people we don't want our kids to be, that that's not too far for God. And if that's what it takes to win them over, as hard as it is to hear, I got to trust God with that. If you want to follow up with Travis, definitely check out the show notes. If you're like, I keep missing things that Heather's sharing, don't forget that these show notes can come straight into your inbox. If you go to the right column of my site and you can see, put your email address in there, weekly episodes, click that. And every week you'll just get the show straight into your inbox. You'll get all the resources straight there. You'll get the announcements when I have live events, which... I'm getting ready. I'm getting all the swag bags together and the giveaways and getting all the last minute details in order. Can't wait for the first live event. Uh, I don't know if I'll even have time to share on Instagram. I'm hoping I can share some on Instagram. My phone is completely cracked and uh, dead right now. So if I get a new phone before Friday, I might share about (laughs) the live event on Instagram. Uh, But I'm so grateful for all the friends that have volunteered have real people in your real life. This is my another, another plug for that. Get a GCM podcast club together. Whatever you got to do, be with real people in your real life because I'm grateful for those people who love me well, who encourage me daily, and who are helping me put on this event. Uh, all right, y'all go check out Travis's music, Thizzle. Go check out <laughs> Seven Hog Mob. It might be too rough for y'all. I totally get that. That's fine. But I, I'm not kidding when I say that the best gospel I've ever heard preach is from these guys. And I so wish that as a church, we could embrace them better and that we could give them a platform and a voice because they are preaching the good news that we all need to hear every day. All right. Have a great day. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping Him in a church pew. 
He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.